I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hello, everyone. I am Perry Nemerov. This is Betty Gilpin, and you are watching Collider Ladies Night. The very first thing we like to do on Collider Ladies Night is play dicey questions because I'm greedy. I never get enough interview time. So I come up with eight questions and I roll the die on that dice tower behind me. And whatever three questions we get, that's what we start with, at least. I love it. Lots of very random things are about to happen. All right. Your first one is a four. This one is called Never Again. What is something you did for a role that now makes you say, I'm glad I did it? but never again. Oh gosh. Um, <laughs> uh, I, you know, I think, um, for so long I would audition for stuff that wasn't right. And I just, I just wanted a job so bad. So I think I would always, I think I was so used to being like, I can ride Olympic horses at an Olympic level and jump over buildings. Absolutely. And just lie all the time to try and get jobs. But what's something specific? Um, I think I'm done with wrestling. I'm, I'm all done with wrestling. <laughs> I'm sad glow is over, but I'm happy to be done I don't like to hear that. <laughs> well, I, I don't know. Maybe someday. <laughs> Maybe I could play the coach, the seated coach. Just because this answer made me curious, you know how you have the random skills section on a, on a headshot resume. What is the most random skill you used to put in that section? Well, this is where, I mean, if 2020 has taught me anything, it's how truly useless I am and how, uh, being an actor doesn't have any translation to real world skills in the pandemic. Like, a classical and a contemporary monologue does not is not good at bartering for goods if if the world crumbles. Um, skills I can play the fake flute, and that's about it. Okay. Shall I do it now? Yes, please. <laughs> oh, 
That's all we have time for. I'm actually very impressed. I have a flute player in the family. That that sounded kind of right. Thank you. Thank you. All right. <laughs> I've got roll number two here. Okay. We've got a five. Number five is, we're calling it more TV, please. If you could guest star on the TV show of your choice, what would you pick and why? Oh, man. Well, I've just consumed all of Mayor of Easttown, and I am so energized by that show. I think that I, myself, Betty, am at this point where I'm 34, and I I feel like as an actor, um, <laughs> internally, I have all these ideas that I want to do and all this, like, grotesque, layered, clowny, mezzanine-hitting, uh, depths of despair touching stuff that I want to do. Um, but role wise, I've played a lot of women who are women who are like, I said orchids and have organized purses and none of that stuff going on. Uh, a lot of, a lot of, you know, stuff I have been honored to play and really excited, but I think that, um, I'm wondering if one of two things is going to happen. If, I age out of the Barbie contoury stuff. If then they'll be like, thanks for playing goodbye. You can go do Medea in the Berkshires. No one wants to see you on camera anymore. Or if I will break out of that, um, the Barbie shell stuff when my tits are in my shoes and line, more lines are on my face. And then I can finally be the grotesque id person that I want to on camera. And Sometimes I feel confident about that. And sometimes I'm like, oh, I don't know if society is ready to let women be as grotesque and layered and dark as the men are allowed to. And then I watch something like Mayor of Easttown and the performances of Kate Winslet and Julian Nicholson and Jean Smart, who they're not having to check any Barbie boxes. They are just pure id and just the darkest, most layered not performative versions of themselves and thereby sexier than they've ever been as a complete side effect that has nothing to do with it. I, it felt like Narcan and I was just so excited to watch it. So it's a limited series, so I can't guest star, but if I could have the time machine from the tomorrow war, I would go back in time and be, you know, the gas station janitor in the background with crossed eyes and no fake eyelashes on. <laughs> A lot of those qualities you said are big parts of why I love that show so much. They were incredible in it too. All right, we've got one more here. We're up to a seven. Ooh, I'm so happy about this one. So I was doing my research and I happened to come across a video of you doing a Diane Weist impression. And it made me wonder, what other impressions can you do? Because that one was quite good. Um. Oh boy, okay. Uh... <laughs> I forgot I did that impression. Um, well, I I was supposed to do American Crime Story Impeachment and play Ann Coulter, but because of COVID and scheduling, I am no longer doing it. So I have this Ann Coulter impression that goes nowhere, I guess. So I have that. Is, is it like a spoiler of sorts to ask you to share it? Well, I, I'll never do it. So this will be it. So I'll do, I'll do Ann Coulter. Um, I'll do Ann Coulter saying, uh, twas the night before Christmas. Okay. I have to get into it. Okay. This is cold. Um, 
was the night before Christmas and all through the house, not a creature was stirring, not even a mouse. The stockings were hung by the chimney with care in hopes that St. Nicholas soon would be there. Thank you. So we've got Ann Coulter and we've got a flute. You're you're made like you are set right now. Oh boy, that's right. it. <laughs> We're rolling into the very beginning of the journey here, and I I love talking about experiences studying your craft in school because I think that there are many ways to get into this industry, and certain things are right for some people, some are better for others. So. What is one, an invaluable lesson you learned while you were studying acting in school that you still find yourself using today? But then on the other hand, what is something that all the schooling in the world couldn't prepare you for when you hit your first set? Yeah, um, that's a great question. Uh, well, I did, I went to theater school at Fordham, um, but also I grew up in New York and both my parents were and are actors and did mostly theater. So I grew up watching them do plays over and over again. And I think watching my parents on stage, two people that I obviously knew very well and loved very much, but seeing them inhabit these different characters um, and seeing that, oh, like I remember watching my dad in a play where he um, played a man who leaves his family uh, and goes, leaves his kids and leaves his wife and he did this monologue center stage out into the dark and it felt like he was talking right to me and I was like eight years old and seeing that oh there are people in my dad that I don't know that you can even even though you, you can be an open person and um loving and layered but also have oceans inside you uh that can be accessed if you give yourself the opportunity. Um, and I think for me, school was all about learning how to access that ocean and building up this ocean of weird to access. I think that being on set and being an, a professional actress in particular, um, there are often these kind of tolls and hoops to jump through in order to look nice on camera that often feel like it makes it harder to access those things when your brain, your brain only has so much time in real estate and you can either spend your homework time panicking about how you look, uh, how your body looks, how your face looks. Um, if people really want you to have this job or if you should spend the first three takes auditioning for the job you already have, or instead you could spend all of that time accessing that, um, ocean of weird. And I think that it took me a long time to realize I was wasting a lot of time in self-hate and shame, and it was doing a disservice to my creative process. Um, so yeah, I, I, I just try to try to bypass, the, bypass that and get right to the, to the ocean of weird instead of, oh God, does, does this lighting make me look like I've never had a glass of water or a vitamin? This kind of making me think of a conversation that we had when the hunt came out. I think we were talking about a scene where you took it upon yourself to make a creative choice for your character. So looking back on your very early experiences in film and television, I know it can be very scary to, you know, speak up and say what you think is right for a role. So do you remember the first time that you built up the courage to do that, how it was expressed and just how you felt after doing it? 
Yeah, I think for me, The Hunt was one of the first experiences where I let the director, Craig Zobel, who also directed Mare of Easttown, um, uh, where I let the director in on what was going on in my brain for for the character. You know, on, on TV, you cycle through so many different directors and there's not really a lot of time to be like, this is what I think she's dealing with childhood-wise in this moment. They're like, I I'm dealing with, there's a sound thing. I can't, I don't have time to talk about your character's childhood. Um, so yeah, working with Craig definitely was an eye-opening moment for that. I, I, and, you know, starting out in plays, there was nothing but time to talk about who the person was. And I think that, um, I think it more had to do with me uh, mowing down the checkpoints in my own brain of like, oh, don't do that. Oh, that's too weird. Oh, don't try that. They're going to get mad if you do that. And I think uh, the second I kind of um, just got too tired to keep second guessing myself was when I think my, my work got a little better. I need, I need some of those, those tips and tricks to not do that while I'm looking at myself on a screen right now. Right. It gets into to like a little bit of the process, but what, what is the key? Because I imagine you have that moment where you see something in your work and that checklist kind of fades away, but what happens when it creeps, creeps back in? Do you have any kind of technique to, you know, bury it back down and keep your focus on your work again? Well, it's really hard because I think that, um, you know, I, as a kid and in high school was really a, a sidelines person and sort of was always sort of the, um, like the beta next to the alpha person, but as a beta and on the sidelines, you know, you're taking notes and watching the world and observing human behavior. And I feel like me as an actor, it's a presentation of those field notes. Um, and, you know, I don't want all the beta sideline parts of me to go away because I feel like it's also a superpower. It's also the thing that makes me creative, you know? So uh, it's, it's hard to, you know, I do want to stop second guessing myself and stopping myself, but it's also that second guessing and stopping myself and sidelining myself that gave me the window into being a creative. You know, I think sometimes I'm like, yeah, I wish I had more confidence and I wish that I just steamrolled my ideas through, but then I see some of those people and I'm like, but some of your ideas aren't good. <laughs> you lost the filter in your head. That's like, is this good? Should I? So I don't know. It's about finding the balance, I guess. All right. Now I'm re-embracing all of, all of my worrying and panicking when I yeah, do. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> all right. Let's hit another credit. How about Nurse Jackie, your very first uh, lengthy run on a TV show. Even yeah. having guest starred on so many shows before that, what was one thing that maybe surprised you most about being a series regular? Yeah, so the beginning of my career, I did a lot of guest stars where, and especially particularly on New York shows, which is what I did, um, hospital shows and cop shows. As a guest star, you have to come in and sob and come in and hit a 10 and be perfect and go to crazy emotional lengths while your scene partner is like, and what time? Um, so I think being a series regular, being able to sort of relax into a character and realize, oh, there's a lot of real estate here time-wise to, I don't have to sell it all in this one scene and cram it in. Um, and I think that, uh, I think that that mentality I was definitely trying to use it all as like, I want to show everybody everything I can do in this one little <laughs> scene in a bodega where I'm saying that I saw a man on a bicycle. I'm like, I should probably be crying in this scene. 
just so I can show that I can do it. Um, but yeah, I, and I think, you know, for Nurse Jackie, I came in season five. Um, and so all my scene partners had been playing their characters for five years. So they had five years of homework in their brains and having that energy come back at me, you know, Merritt Weaver, Edie Falco, Anna Devere Smith, it's it just it's incredible, an incredible, incredible job. Going back to the, I think you refer to them as uh, like you being a beta and having an alpha near you. I usually do love asking about what it means to be number one on the call sheet, not just in terms of delivering a good performance for that main role, but also for how you kind of set the tone on set. So whether it be Nurse Jackie or something else you worked on, is there anything you observed from one of those number ones or an alpha that then came in handy and you knew you wanted to bring to a set like Glow? Yeah. Well, I mean, honestly watching, you know, Allie Bree was number one on our call sheet and she, I learned so much from her. She's just the perfect energy on a set. I think, I think I also hide behind the I'm a beta thing because I, I think I associate in my head, you know, alphas mean you stop listening and you don't take care of people and you, um, are up your own ass and that's just not true and you're unlikable and you know Allie Bree could not be more loving and caring and a listener and supportive and an ensemble member Allie is an alpha and she was our the boss and it was the I had never seen somebody take such good care of the people around her while also being a boss um and the two things fed each other so well and yeah so i which is so funny because in the in the show i'm you know debbie is the total alpha and roof is more of the beta but uh you know it just um i think that uh bravery and belief in self can be contagious and it was definitely contagious from allison does not surprise me to hear that so yeah. going back to the very beginning of being on GLOW, was there maybe a moment, whether it was in the prep process or when you were on set, that you and everyone around you just kind of went, huh, like we're, we're really working on something that is super special here? Because in my mind, at least, GLOW is on a close to untouchable tier. There's a very special sector of shows that I hold near and dear, and that Yay. is firmly one of them. You don't get them very often. That's so nice. Um, I mean, yeah, you know, the creators, Liz Flayhive and Carly Mensch, I knew them for forever as playwrights first, and then they wrote on Nurse Jackie, and then they created GLOW. And I remember um, there was a time on set during the pilot where I did some crazy take and went back to Liz and Carly at Video Village. And they were like, that was insane. I was like, I know, I hope they use it. And Liz and Carly were like, we're they. <laughs> and I had this moment of like, oh, we don't have to submit it to some panel of bros. who's like, she looks fat in that one, we're not using it. Um, it. It just felt like, oh my God, it's just us. Um, and it, that, kind of set the tone of it just felt like a I don't know like we were doing this forbidden thing of the the I don't know the, the kids were allowed to make something but we were grown-ass women do you remember what the take was did it actually make it into the final cut no. of the episode it was that one really over the top thing I did on glow that one time oh <laughs> I know that one thing yeah 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 when I put the b in subtlety yeah exactly and I yeah. loved every ounce of it Great. um <laughs> 
I hate to bring down the mood, but you know I have to ask you about the cancellation, which just ripped my heart into a million pieces. And, you know, I know when any show gets canceled, it's incredibly upsetting for everyone involved. But this one felt different because you guys had such a set such a high bar. Everyone was loving the show. And you had also started filming the new season. So, I don't know, it's kind of making me wonder, looking back on this whole experience, did it kind of feel like the rug was pulled out from under you too soon and that maybe the show should have been given the opportunity to pivot into those pandemic safety protocols that now we have seen so many other film and uh, TV sets do? Oh man, I mean, I was really sad, but also, you know, I think um, pandemic wise, you know, I had a couple disappointments career-wise that in the global scheme of things don't matter at all. Uh, when an actress cries in a forest, does anyone hear? Um, I, you know, I think if all this had happened uh, when I was 19 and just starting out, I would have been so devastated. But I think um, at 34, I think that, I don't know, I'm just, I'm kind of grateful to the decade of failing that I had, um, where I still supported myself as an actor. So it wasn't total failure, but I did a lot of black box plays that no one saw and an episode of Law and Order once every four years. And that was my life for a long time. And um, I think starting in theater was this gift where um, I learned the lesson early that feeling like your soul is doing what it's supposed to and like coming out into a room for one second and being recognized by someone else's soul is such a different thing than societal success and it can be confused it's it's very easy to confuse the hit that um validation feels like or public validation especially when so much of an actor being an actor is rejection and no and um trying so when the world says hey we see you and we're clapping you're like oh that's my childhood dream but it's not your childhood dream has way more to do with your soul just being recognized for a millisecond and then it goes away um and i think uh even though we got canceled it's like yeah we still did it though and you know the hunt is a movie that meant so much to me <laughs> and that part meant so much to me and there are moments in that movie where I really felt like oh I did the soul thing even if it's not the perfect movie and now it's like you know it, I love the movie but it doesn't I don't know I, I feel like <laughs> sometimes you do a play sometimes your soul comes out in a room and is recognized for a second and then the air changes and you're terrible again and it's all bad and people the whole front row is asleep but you did it for one second and I'm like we did three seasons the hunt came out in theaters for two days I have an Ann Coulter impression I never filmed it <laughs> well, the the hunt was actually I think the last movie that I saw on the big screen before yeah. <laughs> All of myself inside a house and I do love that movie as well I want to ask something about that movie but before we leave glow yeah because we're not gonna get to see the ending maybe I did want to ask you about working on that very last scene in the airport and maybe more specifically where Debbie's head was at for you in the moment where 
Ruth had just said to her, I think she says something along the lines of she understands you or you understand her better than anyone else. And then we get a fairly long dialogue less reaction shot from you where I can kind of feel the weight of the moment and everything that they've been through and see the wheels in her head turning. So just for you in that moment, where where is Debbie's head head at? What is she thinking about what Ruth had just said and, and what could be her next move? I think along the lines of what I said about learning from Allison, I think that a real superpower that women have is that you can kind of, um, by osmosis from the women around you, kind of borrow the strengths of the the women surrounding you where you are weak. And I think that Debbie, while she's so alpha and strong in so many ways, really needed a lot of Ruth. Um, and to go forward and to be, you know, I think Ruth was the only person who really uh, saw Debbie for exactly who she was. Um, you know, I think they're very different, but they're both very lonely um, people. And I think that even though there had been this crazy fissure in their friendship, that they, in some ways, were all each other had. Um, and when you know somebody very deeply, it's very hard to say goodbye to them. And I think that Debbie saw this version of her own life where she's like, I can achieve these things, but I can't do it without this person who I love, who is the love of my life, the great love of, of Debbie's life. And, um, you know, I certainly feel that in many ways about Allison and about a lot of the women in my life that um, I'm, my identity is so braided with theirs because we've gotten through life together. Um, I think a lot of, a lot of being a girl and a woman is about presented self and then going backstage with other women and being like, are you fucking seeing this? Am I okay? Well, I need this. I need help. How are you doing this? How did you do this when this happened to you? This happened to me. Oh my God, it happened to you too. And then going back out into the world with the presented self shell and you can't do it by yourself. And um, I think that that was Debbie in the moment saying goodbye to almost a part of herself. I'm almost regretting asking you that question because now it's like you can tease up <laughs> that next chat. I guess, I guess there's no chance of, or is there, of maybe getting like a, a film version of some sort of conclusion for their story? I don't know. I I, I don't know, never say never, but I don't know. I, my pitch is that we do it in like 20 years. <laughs> honestly I would be I want it now like now right. now now but I'll be yeah. open to it whenever it happens because okay, I, I am a I'm a firm believer that a fan base like that has has the power and the voice to make it happen and the material <laughs> and the quality of it necessitates it yeah maybe. all right to tap into the hunt a little bit here I guess I know you've probably spoken about this a good deal before, but I'm curious what it was like for you when that first trailer came out. And, you know, you've got your first like big starring role in a major Hollywood motion picture and getting a big wide release. And then everyone's ripping it to shreds before it even comes out, before anybody even knows what it is and what's it, what it's about. What does that make you feel like in that moment? Like I just imagine being like, like it, like it figures, this happens now when I have this movie. <laughs> No, I don't, I don't know. Again, I feel like this life raft of, um, I'm always checking the rafters for pig's blood anyway. I am always being like, when is this all going to come crumbling down? And I, I, 
Uh, I mean, it's why I'm not on social media. One of the myriad of reasons why I'm not on social media. I'm always like, oh my God, like, be careful. I, I, I don't know people who are like teasing something coming soon. It's going to be so good coming in November. Wait till you see November. I'm like, you know, what's going to happen. What if the world crumbles? What if people are like, you don't know, you don't know. And, um, so I was like, God, I'm so glad I wasn't on like a selfie campaign. <laughs> uh, you know, I, I think that, um, we made a movie that, uh, was a thesis statement wrapped in an action movie and people were mad that it was a thesis statement. And I think the reaction to the trailer had, was so on the nose with the plot of the movie that they didn't know from the trailer. And I wanted to be like, Oh, if you guys are interested in that stuff, you would love this movie. Um, but it just felt a little too, uh, intense to join the conversation. So I thought I'm going to turn my phone off and look at the horizon. And then the movie came out eventually and people were like, cool movie. Anyway, I was like, you were so mad six months ago. Now you sleepy, okay. <laughs> yeah, I, I envy you for not being on social media. I don't ever tell anybody who I'm interviewing until it's in the can. So after this, I'll like blab about it, but not before, cause I don't ever <laughs> want to do that to myself. All right, <laughs> yeah. the tomorrow war. So having just brought up Glow and The Hunt, I've I've been watching you just like crush it in starring roles. So it did make me wonder in this case, what goes into choosing when to sign on for a supporting character like Emmy in a movie like this? Are there any key deciding factors when it comes to finding a supporting character that's gonna, you know, scratch a certain itch or give you an experience that you haven't had before? Um, I mean, it wasn't like I was like, turning away all these leading roles. It's like, I'd love to do a supporting role. <laughs> um, I, I, I make audition tapes on my bathroom floor and then I do the jobs that I get. <laughs> I'm still there. Like, let's not, let's not pretend. Um, but I, I was excited to um, stunt wise take a break. It was a wonderful shift of reality to have my male scene partner be the one who's eating like cubes of salmon and stretching for his th throwing himself down the stairs scene the next day. And I was like, four bagels, please, and a big sweater and a chair. I like that way of looking at it, especially someone who is living in New York right now and is a huge fan of bagels. Yeah. Um, how about working with Chris McKay? Because I'm a very big fan of Chris's as an animation director. So is there anything unique about his style of directing a live action movie that you suspect might've come from his animation background? Huh. I don't know if it comes from, I mean, what's so interesting is that his style is so wanting to make everything seem very real. Um, so I guess that lends itself to animation in that, you know, the, the relationships have to feel real to buy that it's all really happening. Um, and uh, yeah, he was, we did a ton of different takes. I was so interested to see them, what would end up in the movie because we did super dramatic stuff where we were screaming at each other and then super comedic light stuff. Um, so it really kind of felt like a little acting camp. Um, and in my head, the movie was just about like <laughs> a married couple in a nice suburban home. And then I'd overhear the crew talking about, you know, yesterday we crashed a helicopter into a swimming pool. I'd be like, oh, I guess it's not an indie about a marriage. I guess it's about aliens. 
We're going to roll into another game with a little bit of a Tomorrow War spin. We're going to give you one of our silver screen survivalist segments. So painting a picture here for you. The emergency alert system blares. There's an alien invasion. You can grab three things from your home to take on the run with you. What are you taking? Oh, God. Besides the people. Um, okay. Um, I'm going to take uh, duct tape. Um, because my husband, there have been so many times in the night where I've been like, good night, honey. What is this? Lights on, duct tape, closing a wound. Why? Why can't we just use bandages? Why can't we go to the hospital? He's like, it's totally fine. Like right this moment, right now, he has duct tape around his hand from like, I don't, I don't know. Um, so I guess duct tape. Um, I'm also bringing, I mean, Oh God, I, I don't know. I'm an actor. I'm useless. I'm the death of society. I can't pee without my phone. I'm bringing, um, I guess, oh God, uh, my, I'm going to bring my phone <laughs> and, a, and a charger. Okay. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know how good that's going to, that's going to work in your favor. God forbid the electricity, no, 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 but I, I can't up this stuff too much. <laughs> All right. Yeah. Okay. So in addition to your three things, you can take three past co-stars with you to fight the aliens. Oh God, uh, three past co-stars, oh no, to fight the aliens. Well, I mean, not including Tomorrow War co-stars. Well, you could take someone from the movie. I'm bringing Chris Pratt. He's very resourceful and, um, you know, nice to look at if, if it's the last thing I see. Who else am I bringing? I'm gonna bring Edie Falco because I feel like she could kick some white spike ass. Um, and you know what? I'm going to bring Mark Marin because just because I miss that guy. I feel like he would be good company and I would just enjoy passing the time with him. I get it. Yeah. And Chris would bring like a golden retriever energy and Mark would really bring like a, a sea captain-y crotchety kind of cat energy. An appropriate balance to have. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm kind of, I'm kind of a, a, a golden retriever who's seen a lot. So I'm sort of in the middle. All right. I got one more in this section for you. Okay. What is a random skill or hidden talent that you think would come in handy when you are out there trying to survive this alien invasion? Oh, no. I mean, again, there's nothing that nothing translates. I mean, like in 2020, I think we all we all saw that actors were like, you know what are important now more than ever? Actors. And people were like, the world? It's crumbling, ma'am. You should sit down. You should just douche. Um, we're like, should I? Okay. Here as an ally, I'll just be in the background talking. Should I talk? I'll say a few words. Like, no, no, just don't say anything. Anyway, um, what skills do I have? I'm going to think about this. I have the skill of, um, I don't know. I cry for a living. It doesn't, I have no, I'm not, no skill. I can't run a mile. I can't boil water. I'm going to talk to the white spikes. I'm going to relate to them. I'm going to emote. I'm going to use my tears as poison. I mean, who knows? Maybe no one tried that in the movie and that was actually the cure to the whole problem. They just had yeah. a reason with them a little. Yeah, perfect. <laughs> right. We are at the very end of ladies night. We always end with the same two questions. First one is name one person who you think is changing this industry for the better. <gasps> person I think is changing this industry for the better. Well, I have to say, I feel like Kate Winslet, the mayor of Easttown, I feel like she was sending a subliminal message to all actresses of like, I'm going to go full 
I'm going to go full mare if you go full mare. And I was like, I'm going full mare. Um, uh, and then oh, two people. You can name a second one if you want. But you oh, yeah, it was just one person. Yeah. Um, changing and the what was the question? Changing this industry for the better. Um, I feel like there's a crop of actresses who are like 10 years younger than me, who are just there. We've got some contenders right now, Oscar wise, Anya Taylor-Joy, Florence Pugh, Jodie Comer, um, basically the whole cast of Little Women who are just raising the bar in terms of I, I don't know, layers to hit and, and gravitas. And I, it's just so exciting to me. I feel like I, I wasted a lot of my early career being like playing these roles. And um, I think uh, they're just skipping that stuff. And it makes me have hope for the future. Don't say wasted after the whole conversation we've had. If anything, oh. it's proven to me that all of those experiences have made you the incredibly talented person you are today. Oh my God, you're right. All of my failures were life rafts and little Hansel and Gretel crumbs to my destiny. All right, Betty, I have to let you go. Huge thank you for hanging out with us on Ladies Night. To everybody out there, do keep an eye out for the Tomorrow War. It is streaming right now. You can watch it right now on Amazon. Check it out. More ladies night. Thanks so much. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.